Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David Hederman. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our community. When I was in the eighth grade, I was in a PE class that was run by the high school football coach. Now that scene probably is exactly what you're imagining. You might have been in a similar situation when you were in junior high, senior high school. But I was in this PE class and the the coach, he knew my older brothers. My older brothers were six and eight years older than I was. The oldest had played football for him. Uh, My my middle brother, he was a pretty standout, pretty good soccer player, standout soccer player. And he was kind of known for his work ethic on and off the soccer field. So he knew both my brothers and the reputations that they had earned. Well, this was at the beginning of the, of the school year, and he was began leading some type of warm-up activity where uh, apparently I was not into as an eighth grader. I was not into it that day. I was just kind of going through some of the motions, and he absolutely just jumps all over me in front of the whole class, talking about how he needed to see more effort out of me, how he needed to see more hustle out of me, and, uh, and, and I was, you know, just not getting the job done. And he, he kind of yelled at me in front of everybody. Now, again, Eighth grade PE class, so, but as as an adult, looking back on it, I think, man, I must have been like a complete slacker for him to jump all over me in that setting. Because I'm, I mean, I'm sure it was justified. I'm sure it was justified him, him coming down on me that hard. But what made the memory stick was not necessarily the embarrassment of being called out in front of my classmates. No, what made that memory stick came two or three days later. You see, it was two or three days later where he begins to call a roll. And he gets to my name, calls my name, and I say, here. And he looks at me and he goes, that was a Hederman that I had to call out for no effort? Not much family resemblance, is there? Like, that's the comment. That's the one that stuck. That's what I remember, because that left the mark. That's what I remember almost 30 years later. I was just, just the shame that I felt for not working as hard as my brothers and, and not having that effort, right? And, and, and there not being a family resemblance. And so talk about being driven to correct the action. Uh, because as the youngest, again, I was, I was proud of my older brothers. I wanted to be like my older brothers. Some, some ways I still do, right? Like I, but I knew I wasn't as athletic as they were. Um, but I could, I could at least work hard when given a task. I felt like that was the bare minimum. And I had, had failed to live up to that in that moment. Now, while, you know, I'll retell the story, and it might sound incredibly harsh to some of you, or maybe a little comical to others, uh, or maybe uh, informative about my personality. It was definitely a formative comment that was made because it helped me understand that there are virtues and traits that can define families. And when you act differently from them, then yes, people can struggle to tell the family resemblance. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a good thing when there are generational sins and brokenness that one needs to leave behind. But sometimes it can be a bad thing. Sometimes it can be a bad, be a bad thing when you are the one who are breaking away from the good that's gone before. Because when that takes place, it can leave others asking, where's the family resemblance? In the Beatitudes, the opening verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing what it means to be blessed and who is blessed as part of the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In some ways, it's a command that followers of Christ, those who are part of the kingdom of God, we are called to be those who make and bring peace into this world, to bring peace into a world that is so full of conflict. And when we do, we'll be called children of God, as blessed are the peacemakers. If this is the command, if this is the beatitude, the blessing that we're seeing Jesus teach here in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to have a clear understanding of what it is that he's speaking about. So what, is, what, is it, what does he mean by, by making peace, by bringing peace into this world? What does Jesus mean 
by peace. And for that, we need to remember that this has taken place in the first century world of, uh, and of, uh, in the context of first century Judaism. And so we need to understand what the first century Judaism's concept of, of peace is. And it's a very deep, robust, and, and kind of thick understanding of peace, if you will. It's not just the absence of hostility or the absence of conflict, but rather peace or shalom that, that occurs when there is wholeness, when there's completeness, or well-being. So when a Jewish person was praying for someone else to experience peace, they were praying that there would be harmony in their relationships with one another or wholeness in those relationships. But it wasn't just related to like two individuals. This notion of peace or, or shalom could also extend to groups of people or even communities of people. So praying for the peace of a city, they would pray for the wholeness of the city or the justice of the city as they were seeking good for that city. There's also a, a financial or material component to, to seeking peace for someone as there's a desire to ensure that someone's basic financial needs are met, that there's not a struggle for food and clothing and shelter. Because if there's a struggle for those, then that person, there's, there's, they're not living with, in peace. There's not wholeness. There's not shalom. And yes, yes, part of this understanding of peace is there's a return to wholeness or completeness in one's relationship with the Lord. And this, this is the hope that we have in Christ. This is the hope that we have in our Messiah and that Jesus himself brings us peace in our relationship with God the Father. Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus, that he himself is our peace. And so again, this is the hope of the gospel, that Jesus is the one who returns us to wholeness with God. Romans chapter five, verse one and two says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one, the one whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So this peace and, and shalom, this is the hope that we have in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the prince of peace. And in the kingdom of God, there is a return to wholeness, to soundness, to well-being in our relationships with the Lord and in our relationships with one another. Why? Because this, this is a family virtue. This is a family value. It is an ethic that's valued by our heavenly father and it's something that we are called to cultivate in this world. It's also like a prevailing theme throughout the entire New Testament, right? There's a, there's a desire for peace in this world it comes to us in Christ, who again is our peace. Peace is bestowed to us by Christ and the work that he has done on our behalf. And now, as his disciples, as his followers, we are to be messengers of that peace for the rest of the world. But if we're to do this, how can we be messengers of this peace? Are there ways to not only tell it, but to enact it and show it? And, and, and again, we see this, see this principle, see how to do this in and through Christ who is our peace. Because, well, Jesus, he loved us while we were sinners. He loved us while we were still enemies of him. He took steps to help bring peace into our lives. And, and now we see that this, this is how we are messengers of this peace, by loving and making peace with those who are set against us. You see, it's later in this exact same sermon in Matthew chapter five, verse 43 through 45, where Jesus, 
he makes this incredibly bold claim on those who would follow him, those who would be his followers and be part of the family of God. And he says this in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies. This was a paradigm shifting uh, command that Jesus gives. Like this was earth shattering for him to say this because in this culture, in this setting, hating your enemy was basically considered a virtue. It was almost a virtue to hate your enemy. Now it's not, it's not like people are like, I'm going to go hate somebody. It's, it's, not, it's not that in a sense, but rather your hatred of that which was against you was some sort of a measure, a metric for how much you were for what you believed in. Like you're so zealous for, for what you believed in or for who you believed in that that, that devotion showed through your hatred of what, what or who was against you. And so, again, it was, it was almost a virtue. And while that might seem kind of foreign to us, I would say we've seen some modern-day expressions of this in that, like, just cancel culture that's popped up, right? Like, there's, there's you know, people are, are so for this initiative or this thing that when someone says something, then they're even ignorant of this cause or this deal or they say something that is, is against it, then instantly this person is canceled. They're just shut off and like deleted and, and nobody is for them. And, and so what that is, it's, it's, it, that's, that's cancel cultural. All this is cancel cultural on steroids. There's no reason to be for the other or wish good on the other because you love those who love you and you hate those who are against you. But Jesus, Jesus tells us there's another way. He has shown us there's another way. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who loved us while we were sinners. Jesus, the one who could have canceled us for all eternity, instead loves us enough to seek our confession, our repentance, and our restoration. And here, he's calling his followers to do the same. I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So there's a pattern here, right? Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God here and later on. And still in Matthew 5, love your enemies that you may be children of your Father in heaven. There's a pattern between the two of these. And hear me when I say this. It's not earning your salvation. I'm going to love an enemy so I will then be a child of God. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me so that I can then be called a child of God. It's not earning your salvation, but rather this act is revealing your salvation. It's revealing your salvation because it's an outward expression of the inward peace and reconciliation that Christ has brought into your life. It's an outward expression of the inward peace and reconciliation that Christ has brought into your life when he brought you into the family of God. And now here, he's calling those who follow him, who are part of the kingdom of God, to do the same. Why? Peacemaking, it is a family affair. It is a family trait. It's a family virtue and ethic that we are called to embody, that we're called to practice, that we are called to bring into this world. But man, is it hard. It is. It is. In so many ways, it can be soul crushing. And I, I still, like, 
we're going to land with, with blessed. But there, there, there's just times when it's hard, right? Because even right now, you're thinking about the family member, the, the parent or the sibling or, or the spouse that strikes back, that hurts, that wounds, and just won't break out of that destructive pattern. And, and you're like, what, is it, what would it look like to make peace in that situation? Or you're thinking about the coworker who, who is just a jerk to everyone in the office and out like is just at every turn is just destructive and demeaning of those around. And you're like, I don't even know it. Like I'm doing my best to distance myself, much less try to make peace with them. Or, or maybe you're not thinking about one person in, in specific, but you're thinking about different groups in our society and in our culture and our community. And you're thinking, man, what would it even look like to make peace with those that are so much for something that I'm against? And this just seems incredibly hard. And you know what? I would say you're right. You're right. It is incredibly hard. And in fact, scripture even teaches it's not natural. It's not, it's not natural to us. It takes the miracle and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring this about in and through your life. Galatians chapter five, verse 23 through 26, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, right? There's, there's no law against those things because all of us want to experience more of that in this world. We need more kindness. We need more goodness. We need more patience. We need more gentleness. We need more love. And yes, we need more peace in this world. So there's no law against those things. But the apostle Paul, he continues, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Paul says we've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. What does that mean? It means we are crucifying and killing that part of our flesh that desires to go blow for blow when, when people strike, uh, strike back at us, when people strike at us. It means we're crucifying the desire to match our rhetoric with the rhetoric of the other. It means we crucify our desire to play dirty when the other plays dirty. What it also means, catch me on this, if I lost you earlier, this means that we reject the attempt to get our needs met through the destruction of our enemy, but rather... We seek their redemption. We seek their redemption. Why? We're walking in step with the Holy Spirit as we are children of God. It's, it's when we abandon that effort, it's when we abandon that effort that we walk away from our family values. When, when we, don't, we, we, don't, we don't speak or show or demonstrate how the hope of the gospel how Christ has saved us from our sin and he, he loved us while we were sinners, while we were enemies of the cross, when we don't show how that reconciles us to God, how he is our peace and, and how that then is expressed in our love for those who are against us. When we don't do that, then we don't show the family resemblance. When, when we don't seek to bring shalom or wholeness or peace to our neighbor as Christ is the Prince of Peace, then we're not showing the family resemblance. When we thirst for the destruction of our enemies rather than their redemption, we don't show the family resemblance. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, 
if it is hard to spot the family resemblance in someone who is claiming to be a follower of Christ, yet you look at their life and at every occasion they are striking back, they are retaliating, they are belittling and berating someone and striking back. If they claim to be a follower of Christ, yet that's the pattern in their life, then something is off. There is a disconnect. If someone claims to be a follower of Christ and this, this notion of loving an enemy seems foreign or abhorrent or, 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 or maybe even worse, when loving an enemy seems like a weakness, how could you be so gullible to think that they, that, that they might change or, 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 or if, if it seems to be like that's just something for suckers, the world's never, like if that's, then that's someone who maybe is, I'm not gonna say maybe, then that's someone who is faking their faith and I would genuinely question their salvation. I would because they are seeking out every occasion to break the peace rather than to reconcile and mend it. And they're revealing that they have not trusted in nor have they been changed by the Prince of Peace. And they're not a child of God. When that is there, we need to reject the corrupting influence. Not reject them, but reject the influence that they might have on our life. And then pray for them. Pray that they would genuinely experience the peace of Christ in their life that would lead to wholeness in their relationship with him that would then in turn lead them to be one that brings peace into this world that would help them uh, cultivate wholeness in their relationships with others. And and so it's it's something, if this is absent from someone who claims to be a follower of Christ, then then yes, I think it calls into question their faith and, and whether or not they've been changed and genuinely trusted in Christ who is the Prince of Peace. Now, that being said, I do think this can be dormant in the life of a believer. I think this can be dormant in the life of a believer because, again, peace, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Holy Spirit puts inside our lives and births this this within us. But the act of peacemaking, the act of bringing peace in this world, well, that requires your participation. That takes work. It takes practice. It takes even discipline on the part of the believer. So, so we're training our minds and, and, our, and our lives to then, when we see brokenness around us, right? When there's strife within our families, when there's that family member or that person that, that again is wounding, or maybe it's the person in the job, at work, or in the schools, and, and we see that, when we see that take place, uh, then, then we know, hey, this might be an opportunity here. When we see someone that are maybe are, are hurting and suffering and living in conflict with their socioeconomic setting, we also say, hey, this, this might be an opportunity as well, because what these things are, whether it's conflict within a person or conflict in someone's social or financial setting, what these things are, are occasions for followers of Christ to engage in acts of peacemaking. These are opportunities where we can put on display our family values. And if these virtues, if they are present and practiced by you, by, by, by you, then you will be a blessing to the world around you. You'll join in the redeeming work of Christ and help all experience his love and his peace. You'll connect deeper the hope you have in the gospel and the joy that God is bringing into your life. We're called sons of God, daughters of God, when we are makers of peace because we are living out the virtues of our family and expressing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what would it look like? What would it look like for you to practice making peace and bringing wholeness into this world? Again, it's, it's, it's not always fun 
there will be times where you will be misunderstood. There will be times where you will be criticized from maybe from the two people that you're trying to bring together, or the two groups that you're trying to bring together, or the enemy that you are reaching out to. There are times when that absolutely will happen, but it does not mean we abandon the effort. There's a, uh, there's a quote from Abraham Lincoln, or a story from Abraham Lincoln, that was actually a favorite quote of Martin Luther King Jr. And if you posted it to the internet that way, you'd probably break the internet. But there's a, a story where there's a, a woman who is criticizing Lincoln for measures he was taking to, to heal the conflict towards the end of the Civil War. And she thought that he was being uh, too lenient, uh, too merciful with the South. And his response to her was, Madam, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? It's not giving them a pass. It's, it, it's not pretending what they did doesn't matter. But no, there's a desire for wholeness. There's a desire for restoration. And there's a desire for reconciliation with an enemy. It's making peace and bringing peace into this world. So what would it look like? What would it look like for you to practice making peace and bringing wholeness into a world that is full of conflict? For some of you, it might be accepting Christ who is your peace. It might be taking that step and placing your hope and faith and trust in him and knowing that he brings about forgiveness of sins and you stand reconciled and restored into a holy and righteous God. That might be the step that some of you need to take. Still, for others of you, it might be helping others know Jesus, who is our Prince of Peace. Maybe you know the family member, the coworker, the classmate that is struggling in conflict over their sins and past regrets. You can help them know the forgiveness and restoration of the Lord. And in so doing, you show yourself a child of God, helping someone else be welcomed into the family. Maybe it's bringing peace into your community by joining up with different nonprofits or, or ministries that are serving those who are in financial distress or, or job insecurity. And in so doing, you're working for their wholeness, for their well-being, for their restoration, and trying to give a small glimpse of what it looks like for there to be unity in the kingdom of God with one another, uh, working for the good uh, of each other as well. And in this, you show yourself a child of God. Maybe it's you bringing peace into your family relationships by being the one who refuses to strike back when they are wounded. You show yourself a child of God. You demonstrate the peace and the self-control of the Holy Spirit as you walk in step with him. What would it look like for you to make peace in the world around you? Because if 2020 has shown us anything, it's that this world is full of conflict and peacemakers are desperately needed. Would you be the one to answer that call? As blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let me pray for us. God, we love you, and we thank you. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and that, that brings about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, Lord God. These things that are not natural in our lives but are so needed in the world around us, God, these are... Um, evidence of, of your divine working in our hearts and lives. And God, I pray that we would connect to them. I pray that we would know that they are there. And God, I pray that we would seek out occasions to practice them so that God, when we uh, see that there are enemies in this world, we don't fall into the um, pattern of this world of striking back or hating those who are against us, Lord God. But we know that because of you and your work and your spirit in our life and the way that you loved us while we were sinners, Lord God, we can turn and we can offer peace and grace and mercy and love to our enemies. And in so doing, 
help them step out of their sin and step into reconciliation with one another and reconciliation with you. God, I pray for those listening this morning. I pray that they would know you, that they would know your peace. And Lord God, I pray that that peace would do a transformative work on their hearts and lives so that this week, when they see occasions to practice it, they know that you have placed them there and called them to be one who brings peace into that situation. God, help us live out this family of virtue and bear out our family resemblance. God, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.